The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. From the news team at LinkedIn, I'm Jesse Hempel. And I'm Sarah Storm. And this is Hello Monday. Not long ago, I was scrolling through LinkedIn when I landed on a post from a colleague, McKenna Moore. It was blowing up. In the post, McKenna talked about how much she got paid. And I have to say, it made me squirm. Because when I started my career, pay was something you just didn't talk about at all to your friends or your colleagues. So I called up McKenna and I asked her straight, why did you post on pay transparency? Why did you feel so comfortable doing that? I mean, in all caps, no less. It's not your style. Yeah, no, not typically. No, but that was that was the only thing in all caps. But what you did do was you described your own personal journey, your first paychecks at Fortune, which were, I'm just going to say it, somewhat abysmal for the mm-hmm. work that you were doing. And then you went and you announced your salary at LinkedIn, the place we both work on yes. LinkedIn. <laughs> and I thought, whoa. So what led you to do that? To me, it never really made sense that pay wouldn't be something that's talked about, especially between colleagues. At the beginning of my journey, um, I was really excited about what I was making. I was making 55000 at Fortune. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm working at this national publication. I'm the coolest person to have ever been born. And this is the beginning of my amazing career. And then you tried to live on $55,000 in New York in City. In New York City in uh, 2018, which that came crashing down really quickly. Uh, life here is really expensive. And I'm from Ohio. So 55000 for a starting salary in Columbus, Ohio is astronomical. That's awesome. Uh, But here, it's not awesome. And I quickly learned that it was going to be a problem. Um, And then I also uh, helped to start and lead the union at Fortune, uh, which was a very contentious battle, which is still going on. And we learned about the pay transparency or the pay equity issues at Fortune. And that's what really got me going and really got me into this topic And if me making a little post telling people what I make helps at all make somebody realize that they deserve more money. What do you make at LinkedIn right now and how do you feel about it? I make $105,000 as a base salary. And then I also get a yearly bonus around $10,000. And I received $100,000 in equity. And I feel amazing about it. Did any of your colleagues say anything? Yes. uh, People were pretty shocked and... They said they were happy that I was talking about this and it led to more conversations. And I think I have a better understanding and many of the people that I work with have a better understanding of what we all make and where we all stand. Um, And it seems pretty equal here, uh, which is really exciting. What McKenna did is increasingly common. There's this move afoot, particularly among people at the start of their careers, to open up about what they make. So today... For the fifth episode in our Navigating the New Office series, I'm going to talk to two people who can help us understand pay transparency. And then Sarah is going to join me so that we can make sense of it together. In a bit, you'll hear from HR expert Allison Venditti. But first, Hannah Williams asks strangers what they make. 
and then she publishes her interviews on TikTok. Her account is called Salary Transparent Street. Once you start watching it, you won't be able to look away. Hannah is three years out of college. In her own experience, in her first few jobs, it showed her that people just don't talk about salaries. So she started Salary Transparent Street, originally as a side hustle. You know, it's so much simpler than it sounds. I knew I was going to ask a very taboo question that people were not really going to be comfortable responding to. So I had to brand myself. Like I had to give myself a purpose and a mission and not just look like a total random person asking this question on the street. So I got a $30 logo made on Fiverr. I got a t-shirt. I coerced my fiance into coming out and filming me with my iPhone. I got a really cheap mic off of Amazon and I just went to like a high traffic foot area in the DC area. Tell me about the first person you asked. So nerve wracking. I think the first time I did it was horrible. Like all these people were passing by me and I had to keep trying to like push myself, like ask them, ask this person, you know? And then once I did the first one, it got so much easier from there. I was so surprised at first how people were open to it. I haven't had a single person yet be very aggressive or antagonistic with me about the question. I've had nothing but people be excited or they just wave me off because they see a clipboard. How do you frame the question? What do you actually say? Yeah. So my spiel is I tell people I have a series on TikTok called Salary Transparent Street, where I advocate for pay transparency by interviewing people and asking them what they do and how much they make. Could I interview you? And then once they get that, I'm like, okay, you're hooked. <laughs> I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm about. And usually they're on board. We ask anybody, but we've seen a huge trend, I guess, in who says yes and who says no. Almost always it's the yes is from younger, younger people like under, I would say under 35 is yes. Over 35 is like 80% no. <laughs> so they really don't want to talk to us. And there's also a, a little bit of a discrepancy with gender and with race. Like we see a lot of women who want to talk to us over men. Men seem more shy. And I would also argue men seem, I would argue they lie more, <laughs> which also oh, yeah. is How an interesting conversation. How can you tell? I can't. And I give them all the benefit of the doubt. But, you know, I think a lot of people know what their number is. And so when there's a lot of hesitation, and then when they give a range, and there's like 40k in between the range, if you're not a salesperson, I kind of question it. <laughs> and much like height, money is not at all a good representation of who you are in the world and what you are worth, right? Exactly. And that's what makes it sad to me that it seems like a lot of men lie about it, because I think it's this the patriarchy, they don't want to look like they're lesser than or that they're, you know, they can't provide for their families. Like there's a lot of conversation about what pay means in terms of how it represents you. You know, it could mean you're a provider or not. It could mean you're strong or you're not. And that's so incorrect. Like we need to realize that your pay says absolutely nothing about your value, your intelligence, who you are, or what you bring to society. It's just a number and it's highly likely that you're underpaid. Well, so what does your business think about the fact that you have chosen to speak <laughs> so much about your your own salary and other people's yeah. salaries? They haven't said anything negative about it. And also I quit to pursue salary transparency and building this full time. So not really my problem anymore. <laughs> but also I knew that I was I was legally allowed to do it. It's realistic that a lot of um, employees have to sign NDAs, that their companies encourage them to not talk about their pay and that there's legal protections with that. So 
that shouldn't be the case. It's illegal. Um, luckily, I was in a position where I could freely talk about my pay. So I exercised that right. So one indicator that it's clearly a taboo thing to talk about culturally is the fact that when you started to do that, um, your videos went viral very quickly. Yes. People couldn't look away, right? <laughs> um, so what has been the impact of that? It's been great. First and foremost, it's been wonderful on my end, but I just think that it exploded this conversation that needs to happen. I'm seeing it on Twitter. I'm seeing it on Instagram. I'm seeing it on LinkedIn that people are realizing like, oh, crap, we've been in the dark for decades now. And if I know what my colleague is making, then I can ask for what I deserve. We previously have not known what the budgets are for roles that we apply for. But once we know what that is, you're going to make sure that you're not underpaid. And so there's just real strength and impact that comes from that. And it's been it's growing this amazing thing. We're all concerned with our pay, especially with inflation, rising gas costs, the housing market right now. But the one thing we're not talking about is how much we make. And that's directly related to our success and how we survive in this economy and this country. So once we start talking about it, there's really no stopping it. We just need to normalize those conversations in our society. But part of that is also coming to the realization that we need to remove the personal connection that we think we have with our pay from what that number is. We need to stop thinking that our pay says anything about who we are and just see it as a number. So I'm catching up with you, Hannah, at a moment when I love that I got you in this moment. Mm -hmm. You have left the security of a job that paid you a $115,000 a year, yeah. and I'm going to assume had good benefits. Yes. <laughs> Decent. I didn't have paid maternity leave. Uh, yeah, not great benefits. <laughs> That's a big one. <laughs> not great benefits. Um, but you're moving toward this entrepreneurial venture, right? Yeah. Um, so what do you know about what entrepreneurs get paid and how are no. your earning prospects figuring into what you're doing right yeah. now? You know, they're looking great. I definitely wouldn't have quit my job if there wasn't good earning potential. And, you know, I did my research. I feel like I'm in this prime opportunity and position where I had a successful career. I've set aside enough money to keep myself going for as long as I can. Maybe that's a couple months. I have support from my fiance who is still working. So I'm just in a position where I can take that leap of faith and support myself for a couple months. But I also know that the earning potential is there. We've already done a brand partnership with Clio, which is a financial money management tool for uh, millennials and Gen Z. They're great. And, you know, that I can't talk about the number until the period um, has elapsed of the time that we've worked together, but it's good enough that I can definitely make more doing this than I did at my nine to five. But truly, it's the fact that I'm passionate about what I'm doing. It's something that, like you mentioned, I've been looking for that passion in my career. And really, I realized that it to me, that passion doesn't come from being on someone else's time or working for someone else or doing data analysis. It's having purpose in what I do every single day. And this gives me purpose. That was Hannah Williams of Salary Transparent Street. Check it out. We're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, I sit down with an HR expert to learn some practical tips on how to talk about what we make. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. 
So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. and so. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. And we're back. My next guest today is Alison Venditti. She's a Canadian career coach and an HR expert. Alison thinks we should all be talking more about money. And she has some very clear ideas about how we can do that. So pay transparency as a idea is actually better represented by calling it pay secrecy because the current structure in most corporations is that your pay is a secret. It's rude to talk about money. It's rude to talk about whatever. And my response as someone who has been in HR for 20 years, who has understood the implications for corporate and for individuals is to say, why? Why is it rude? Who said that it's rude to talk about money? The idea behind salary secrecy is really that it makes it harder for you to ask for more money. It makes it harder for you to understand the systems at play. In fact, it seems like it just replicates biases that already exist in our system. Because if you are a person who was not conditioned to talk about money or ask about money, you are less likely to do so behind closed doors. I love the phrase pay secrecy. Who loses when we're talking about pay secrecy? So pay secrecy is one of the biggest contributing factors to the gender wage gap. It impacts people of color, individuals who have disabilities. So generally, it impacts everybody except companies. (laughs) So companies win, people lose. So when people ask, they're like, oh, this is, you know, who does it impact? I was like, really, it impacts everybody. And being on the employer side, though, it impacts me too as an HR person, right? It makes my job harder to hire people because then I have to go through this annoying process that frankly, I started working in HR when I was in a unionized job. I didn't know this was a thing because every job posting in unionized roles comes with a pay on it because everybody knows what everybody makes. We have a collective agreement. And so when I started telling people, when I started my first HR job, I said, oh, well, here's the range for the role. My boss came to me and he's like, don't do that. Don't, don't do, don't do that. And I was like, well, why? Because it saves a lot of time in telling people because then I don't have to go through the whole process without telling them the job. What happens if they get to the third interview and I find out that we're not paying enough? (laughs) And they just didn't have an answer for that. And then I was convinced. I'm like, this is the stupidest thing ever. So, and that's basically when my fight started. And that was like 15 years ago. I want to know why um, 
people are talking about pay transparency again, especially right now. What is the contemporary angle for this? The angle is that DEI is a thing, except that people were focused on the D and pay is the only factor in work in terms of equity. So I am very uninterested in people talking to me about their DEI initiatives and how they're going to make people feel belonging and feel whatever and show that they're valued. I'm like, then show me the money. Show women that they're being paid equitably to men. Show people of color so that we can build this transparency and this trust. Without it, I'm very uninterested in these like initiatives and programs and whatever. I'm like, the number one way you can show employees that they are valued, and this is an equitable organization, is to show them how much they're paid. That is the only factor in a job when we're talking about free. And of course, some companies are actually starting to do this proactively, to do it even though they're not required to do it, right? Sort of. <laughs> I will say sort of because, look, like, Microsoft is getting is getting ahead of the curve. But when you're hiring remote employees and Colorado has legislation and New York has legislation and Canadian provinces, the EU is talking about pay transparency. In my mind, that's not really proactive. It's just preparing for the inevitable. That's how I see it. So let's talk about the inevitable because that state legislation, right? And you say that it's happening in some places in Canada as well. Um, even though it may only be right now, Colorado, now New York, um, it's really significant, right? It's huge. So, so help me understand the significance here. Okay. So when companies are required by law to A, not have you disclose your previous salary, which is usually part of the legislation, is this, they will ask you what you're making now. So women who are, you know, on average paid 15% less than men will disclose that they're underpaid already and then their new salary will be underpaid yet again. So this is a pattern and a cycle that we're trying to break. We're trying to break that cycle by not allowing this. By opening it, we're not asking for a specific number, we're asking for a range. That, by clearing the way and making it open, we allow people to move into equitable band. Right. This is what some companies are beginning to adopt, right? Like making these bands public. But another thing that we're seeing and something that we talk about um, earlier in this episode is we're actually seeing like some cohort of people simply being more comfortable with talking about how much they're being paid. And of course, it's funny, like what we understand about whether you're even allowed to have that conversation, right? It's in your employer's best interest for you to think that actually that's just not something people talk about. But increasingly, people do, right? Increasingly, people do. I run an organization for women. And that's the number one thing I say is like being on the other side of the table in that negotiation, all the power sits on the employer side. So as soon as you get on the phone with a recruiter, I tell people to just right off the bat ask, I have never recruited for a position in my career that I didn't know what the salary range was. You know why? Because companies don't go out and hire people when they don't have a budget. They don't go out and hire people if they don't have some concept of what they're doing. So I call garbage on that stuff. They know. And so the first thing you can do, because it takes a lot of time to write a resume, sit through three rounds of interviews, like we're talking 10 to 15 hours unpaid, but people need mm -hmm. to know that so that we're saving time mm -hmm. and energy on both sides of the table. 
Now here, Allison, you said something that I just want to revisit and make sure that our listeners really understand, which is when you get on the phone with that recruiter or the HR person, whoever's about to make you that offer, and you finally get to the point where they're making you that offer, that in that moment, you you can and in fact should ask what the salary window is. And you're you're looking at me and our listeners can't see you because we're audio, but you're looking at me like, well, duh. But I just want to point out here, especially for those who may be at the beginning of their career, that you need to understand that, that by the time you get to that call, it's going to be way more work for the company to decide not to hire you than to just give you that information. And I think that there's a certain fear that a listener has that like, well, if I ask a question like that, are they going to think, are they going to realize that I'm like too demanding or too assertive or a pain? And so you don't feel empowered to ask those questions. I want to remind job seekers as an HR person, I don't care. It's not my money. It's <laughs> not like you're coming into my house and, you know, doing anything. I was like, I have a range sitting in front of me would like to ask I would be happy to tell you that the only reason that doesn't work is that you have some really old school recruiters you have someone whose company doesn't believe in these ethics and things and then you have to really ask yourself if someone's fighting me at the beginning of a job offer process about the money that I'm going to be paid to do a job for them do I really want to be working with them yeah that's a pretty important distinction right just the culture around it so then you also enter a world in which if there is more of a culture around t- talking openly about how much one gets paid, there are also cultural implications around that in the workplace that are a little bit new or hard to navigate. How have you seen that play out? So I've seen it play out in very angry resignations when our top salespeople, mostly women, find out that they're paid 35% less than their male coworkers. There are implications in social media where people are sharing these experiences of big companies. And I find it very hard to feel bad for those companies where I'm like, you did that to yourself. You did that by not putting in the work for equity and support. Like, So millions of dollars on ad campaigns to hire senior women and keep women. And the, the way you do that is to value people, is to pay them. The easiest way to do that, though, because people, you know, if I said, how much money do you make? You'd be like, I don't really want to talk to that. You can play what's called the over-under game. So you can ask your coworker, hey, do you make over $100,000 or under $100,000? That's easier for people to talk about. <laughs> so if I go in there and I'm making eighty, dollars and you just say, oh, I make over, now we have a problem. But you didn't tell me how much you right. made. Right. It's more comfortable. Right. right. This is totally more comfortable, but you still have that problem, right? So how do you navigate that problem? Particularly when we all know that it's not appropriate for one's manager to talk to one about like one's colleagues, right? If I come to you and I'm like, Allison, you're my boss. I just discovered that Sarah, our producer is making twice as much as me and I'm angry. Why is she making so much? That's an awkward conversation that we haven't learned how to have effectively in the workplace yet. But it's not a conversation that you've been encouraged to have. It's a societal norm. So the same way that women weren't allowed to have bank accounts, right, up until the 80s, that was a norm. Talking about money, women, specifically women of color in many cultures are taught that it is rude and to not do it. And by not doing it, women retire with way less savings, 
We have way more career gaps. We have all sorts of other things stacked against us. This is a very simple way to help. And so it is imperative that other people do this work for people who can't. And that's why I'm doing it. I am an entrepreneur. Now I can say all of these things out loud. People within corporate can't do that. They're not there yet. But by legislating it, we make it a norm. Right. And the thing that you want legislated is the introduction of a conversation around salary bans. Do you want us to be talking about our salaries more specifically than that? Or is that the thing that will cause the change? So when we talk about the gender gap, I I get really frustrated with researchers where they're like, it's just a piece of a bigger problem and we need to address the bigger problem. But the key is we don't. So the gender wage gap hasn't really changed in a very long time because it's too much of a big problem. So you have to really pick away at it. Pay transparency is a really easy way to start. And it will showcase the fact that it's very difficult if you put a part-time job and a full-time job with the same title and the same requirements, except one's part-time, one's full-time, and this one pays, you know, 25% less because we're valuing part-time jobs. Then these conversations become more open. Well, why is that part-time role valued less than the full-time with the same requirements? So that's, these open up a lot of other conversations about how this is done. I want to point out that that having these conversations, if you are in a place to have them, um, that probably already means that you have a certain amount of privilege in our society. You talk about your role as an entrepreneur allowing you the opportunity to have this conversation. And so it almost forces you to feel then that it is necessary, like that you can be an agent of social change. You have a privilege to do that. Exactly. One thing I'm just curious about is it seems like a generation of younger people entering the workforce today seem to have a different sensibility for how to talk about this and seem to be much more open about talking about their pay. One colleague of mine who we heard from at the top of the episode, she's a colleague of mine here at LinkedIn. She posted on LinkedIn about her pay, announcing her pay in a post on LinkedIn. Do you suspect that this is a generational change that's happening? Or do you have a sense that as people get more senior, their sensibilities will shift? Both. I think the tides are turning in so many ways is that when we approach a real reckoning around equity, when we approach a real understanding that we don't want the world to look this way anymore, then things have to shift. And one of the powers and privilege is absolutely money. It absolutely is. And people who cannot afford to have these very hard-hitting conversations because they can't lose their job or you need those health benefits, you will not be the ones to have this job to do to talk about pay transparency. That's why legislation is important. But we know that the people who are actually having these pay transparency conversations are senior women. And we are seeing more women in senior leadership roles than we have ever seen before, ever. And they are having these conversations because they are paid less than their male counterparts. And if it's happening to women who are at that level, it is absolutely happening to women at lower levels. It's not enough to just scream something out into the void to say, I want pay transparency. You have to bring it to the table. I love that. And I so appreciate the work that you're doing, Allison. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. That was Allison Venditti. You can follow her on LinkedIn. You can also check her out on thisismomsatwork.com. There you'll find a lot of free resources around equity and pay transparency, especially around how to have these important conversations. 
Now I'm going to bring back Sarah. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Jesse. Wow, that episode. So Allison was really helpful to me because I felt that she framed things well in the context of business and government moving in the direction of pay transparency, right? Mm-hmm. She frames the whole reason that an individual might want to share their pay or their pay range in a completely different way. It's about moving the equity needle for everyone. Right. Yeah. And in fact, she makes a case for why businesses should be required to do this. Because why should this information be secret? And who does it help and who does it hurt? Absolutely. And it's about 15 hours of unpaid labor to apply to a job in her estimation. And also people on the other side of that are reviewing applications like it's it's part of somebody else's workflow. But by not disclosing salary ranges, everyone operates at a disadvantage because you might get all the way down the road with a future employer or future employee. And then it was never tenable because the pay range just doesn't work. So Allison has me completely sold on the importance of pay transparency. But it feels to me like what she was talking about is slightly different than what Hannah and McKenna were talking about. They're both toward the beginning of their careers, Mm -hmm. and they're both um, operating from the mindset of the individual, the employee, the worker, um, and trying to speak up for the fact that, like, young people don't get spoken to enough about this and don't speak to each other enough about this, and they kind of lose out. The people who did not know that it was legal to talk about what one makes— was a little bit staggering, but it's made so deliberately uncomfortable that it's hard to have those conversations. This is why I think that what Hannah is doing is so cool, because she's just approaching people on the street, making them a little uncomfortable, sitting with them in that moment and getting to what she wants. And also why I think it's so powerful what McKenna and people like McKenna are taking this sort of this brave stance of doing online. So I think that one thing about the place where they both are is that it is easier to disclose this information when you're at the very beginning of your career ladder, whatever direction your ladder goes in, sideways, backwards, up, down, round and round. It gets harder as you get more senior, I think. And so I just want to end this by saying that a decade from now, Sarah, we'll still be putting Hello Monday out, I assume. Um, I think we should check in with McKenna again and see if she is um, still willing to disclose her salary so willingly. Mm -hmm. And of course, I want to know what everyone out there thinks on this topic. So let's keep the conversation going. We're going to meet as we always do Wednesday afternoon at 3 p.m. Eastern for office hours. Bring your coffee or your water or your tea or whatever you're drinking, Sarah and I always do. You can find us on the LinkedIn news page. And as always, if you like this show, please follow and review it wherever you get your podcasts. We say it, we ask for it because it really helps so much. It really does. And it takes two seconds. If you're like, how do I even do that? I mean, drop us an email at hellomonday at linkedin.com. We'll tell you. Drop us an email anytime you want. We love to hear from you. So today's show. Hello Monday is a production of LinkedIn. Sarah Storm produces our show with mixing by Joe DeGiorgi. Florencia Uriando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pod is head of news production. Michaela Greer and Victoria Taylor help us work toward a more equitable future. Our music was composed just for us by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. I'm Jesse Hempel. And I'm Sarah Storm. We'll be back next Monday. Thanks for listening.
it's usually the really tall people that intimidate me because I'm only five one. So <laughs> I'm like, how am I going to get the mic <laughs> in the right area? <laughs> I love that. I'm five two and three quarters. Uh, three quarters being very nice. important to me when I tell people that. Absolutely. <laughs> and I have a theory about height, Hannah, which is that there are. Mm. Um, short, short people, short, medium people and short, tall people. And so the first is based yeah. on your physical height. And then the second is based mm-hmm. on your sort of charisma and emotional height. And I suspect ah. that you are actually a short, tall person. Short, tall. I take that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I'll take that's a compliment. I'm going to use that. I'm going to share that with my sister. 